African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good day, everybody. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. I thank you for joining African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Remember, we honor the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. We're on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And don't forget that you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Today is uh, United Nations Day, and it's a very big day because... uh, you know, the work of the United Nations is very, very central because especially in the very much polarized uh, geopolitical space that we find ourselves, it's probably one of those only bodies that actually is trying to bring everyone together in terms of political issues when it comes to the climate uh, change issue, when it comes to really humanitarian uh, events that are taking place all over uh, the world. So today we're going to be looking at uh, the successes and also uh, the challenges of the United Nations. As the world marks United Nations Day, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has urged the men and uh, uh, women working for the UN to continue tackling the world's many challenges despite growing inequalities. Kuteres made clear the organization's determination to implement climate action, fight for human rights and the life of peace that everyone deserves to enjoy. Now, the United Nations Day commemorates the anniversary of the entry into force of the UN Charter in 1945 with the ratification of this founding document by the majority of its signatories, including the five permanent members of the Security Council which made actually the United Nations official. Now, we are joined in our studios by um, Nardos Bekele Thomas, who's the head of the United Nations in South Africa. And also on the line, we've got Professor Vishwa Sadga, who is the Professor of International Relations at Wits University. We also have Faith Mabera, who's a senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue. Let me start with you, Nardos. Thank you for giving us your time, and thank you for coming into our studio. It's a big day, the United Nations Day, a very important body. What does this um, organization mean today, especially in such a fragmented world? We're seeing growing inequalities. We're seeing real, real um, move into the the right when it comes to politics. And also we're seeing protectionism in many countries and that openness that we wanted to see in the world is actually becoming less realized in terms of the political narrative today. So what does the United Nations mean and how important is it? Thank you very much uh, for having me. Um, uh, Yes, today is um, a very significant day Mm. for all citizens of this globe because, you know, the United Nations is with the people. Mm. It's um, a platform for everybody, rich and, ch- and, and poor, uh, to be discussing issues that concern the lives of the global citizen. Mm. Um, therefore, you know, it's, it's a critical one. Yes, you know, um, since its inception uh, in 1945, we've made headways mm. in many fronts, as you know, 
decolonization, you know, uh, here in South Africa, uh, you know, the uh, freedom from apartheid, mm. um, the decline in poverty, although inequality is increasing, um, and many others, you know, uh, uh, that we've seen in terms of disarmament, you know, nuclear weapons, mm. avoiding the Third World War, mm. all these are gains that we have, and many, I mean, you know, in terms of health, uh, you know, the epidemics, the polios, mm. the eradication of polios, we've done much, and there is still um, so much to go uh, for as, um, you know, problems and issues emerge with mm. time, mm. like you rightly said. Mm. And um, multilateralism um, seems to be under threat, mm. uh, but there are so many other um, issues that bind us together. Mm. And the world, in my opinion, more than ever, is getting together um, to tackle poverty mm. under the framework of this, you know, sustainable development goals where 193 countries mm. sign off. It's a universal declaration saying this really requires a global effort. Um, and, and, you know, these are global issues. Mm. Uh, we have the challenges of climate change mm. and, you know, the compact that was signed, uh, the climate action uh, is, is another one. Mm. Uh, the human rights declaration is another one. Mm. Um, you know, there are so many things. The, the recent mm. uh, migration uh, compact, mm. uh, the global compact that was signed is, is another thing that really galvanized mm. all countries, all walks of lives to come together to combat these ills. Mm. Uh, so I say more than ever, we're getting together, although within this threat of multilateralism, there is some purpose mm. um, that unites us. Well, let me move to our guests that are on the line. Um, let me start with you, Professor Sadga, in terms of your thoughts around the importance of um, the United Nations. I think we live in a time that's very highly polarized currently. Uh, the political conversations are not as cemented as we want them to be on issues such as the Israel and Palestine issue. Uh, things are very much polarized when it comes to uh, the nuclear um, issue and and uh, many, many issues are actually ones that are actually showing that the United Nations actually does have a challenge when you look at uh, uh, the U.S. president's viewpoints on, on climate change, him thinking is, it's, it's a non-existent issue. Uh, that's another problem indeed, uh, contrasting it to what uh, Nados Bekele Thomas was highlighting in terms of the ambitions that they have as the United Nations in dealing with climate change. How important is this body? Because where I see it, it is the only unifying body uh, that has the kind of ambition to make sure that people sit on one table. Uh, Benjamin, thank you for having me on your show, and congratulations uh, to the United Nations. Um, Let me just say this. If we were to do a thought experiment and imagine the world without the United Nations, Mm. I I would argue that we would have a worse world. Mm. We would have a world that is devoid of a multilateral system. So, in short, what I'm saying is that the UN does provide us with a global architecture for the interstate system to deal with various systemic and other challenges that it faces. Now, whether that multilateral system has worked or not is the big debate. And the history is really very checkered. 
to come to the point um, and the remark made by your guest from the UN, you know, that this is a body about citizens. I think we need to qualify that a little bit because it speaks to, to, to how the UN has played its role. The UN is premised on two things. It's premised on the powerful state at the heart of the interstate system having, if you like, disproportionate power in relation to other states. So hence you have uh, the five uh, powerful states, nuclear states, in the Security Council having a veto, for instance. The second thing is that the interstate system is premised on the nation state itself. And the nation state uh, is a very, very fraught institution. I mean, you can have all kinds of institutions that consider themselves nation states. You could have states that are authoritarian uh, and anti-their people and anti-democratic. You can have fascist states, and you're seeing the rise of neo-fascist states in the world and so on. Uh, you also have a legacy of colonialism that imposed the fiction of sovereignty on the nation state, particularly in parts of the global south. Mm. So when, when the UN makes a claim to speak on behalf of citizens, I think we should be very, very cautious about that. So uh, I'm just putting that out there. I think the second point to make is that, you know, we can look at the history of the UN uh, and we can periodize it in different ways. We can look at uh, the UN in terms of the Cold War period, say 1945 to 1980. We can look at the period of globalization overlapping 1980 to 2000 and the period of climate crisis, 1990 to the present. And if you periodize it in this way, you can focus on various uh, issues that the UN has come short on. So, for example... Countries of the global south were calling for a new international economic order during the Cold War. They used their power, newly found power, in the UN General Assembly, and in the, uh, in the mid-70s called for a new international economic order. This was signed by the powerful countries. If you look at the globalization period, for instance, the UN basically dropped, uh, in the African context, the UN Economic Commission for Africa was a very important bulwark against the World Bank and the IMF. And it was very much about a paradigm of self-reliance being articulated by newly independent states on the continent. But that was pushed back, and the UNECA and various UN institutions embraced, if you like, the market-centered economic paradigm mm. coming from the IMF and the World Bank. I mean, Africa has been a guinea pig for structural adjustments. We've had over 300 structural adjustment programs and they've been disastrous for our continent. If you look at the climate change uh, period, if you like, the UN has played a very important role through the COP process, has brought together nation states, has, has engaged a global dialogue on this question. But if you look at what has been coming through, whether it was the Kyoto Protocol, subsequently the Paris Agreement, mm. while the science has been very, very important, and particularly the latest 1.5 degrees Celsius report, mm. which really underlines the urgency for global action, but in the main, the powerful states uh, in the interstate system have really, if you like, blocked decisive action. I mean, right now we have a crisis of the climate regime, mm -hmm. if you like. I mean, Trump has pulled out mm -hmm. global carbon emissions are on the increase, according to the International Energy mm -hmm. Agency. And the big challenge right now is for us in national spaces to claim the initiative mm -hmm. around climate change and the just transition. Mm -hmm. All right, let me move on to faith and, and, and bring you in into uh, the context in which we speak. And I want to look at the significance of, of the United Nations and also bring that question back to you as well, Faith, giving you an opportunity to respond uh, to that from your perspective. 
Um, okay, I'll just uh, start with, you know, one of the famous uh, quips that uh, former Secretary General Doug Hameskold um, said that the United Nations was not created to take mankind to heaven, but to save humanity, mm. you know, from hell. And, and that brings us back to the reality that we actually living the reality of anarchy. Um, in world politics, and this is the idea that there isn't a centralized um, world government, that, and, and this highlights the dependency of um, platforms like the international organizations like the UN on, mm. um, on, on the action, obviously, by states, um, and, and, and the broader question of, of sovereignty um, around this. But more importantly, I think it shows us that um, in, in, in an evolving global landscape, what we see is a lot of the changing fortunes of the UN. You know, in, in some cases, um, it's hailed as essential. And then when, when we come into um, crisis, like during, during the, the, the wartime um, crisis, then it, its role as an, as an international player becomes essentially marginalized. And these are some of the, the patterns that we've seen happening with, with the United Nations. But I think it's important to mention that in this ebb and flow of world politics, the UN is, has also proven very adept at um, sort of um, evolving and fitting in with the changes um, that are taking place on the global arena. And this, this points me, for instance, to, to in 2005, um, when uh, um, uh, Kofi Annan made his uh, famous speech about the fork in the road um, um, speech, and, and he was talking about the, the, the need for continuous reform, the need for continuous um, introspection and examination of the, the United Nations. And, and, and its, its uh, ability to demand, to, to respond to changes um, that demand innovative policy responses, such as, um, I mean, the, the previous cases have mentioned them, the global economic crisis, mm. the violent extremism and terrorism, the changing nature of um, conflict, you know, democratic change, and so on and so forth. So I think it, it's important to, 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 to take stock of, of the historical um, perspective and, and how far we've come and, and to mm. appreciate the stabilizing role that the UN um, has played um, in in, in essentially in world politics at this juncture and the legitimizing role that it, it mm. brought in as much as there are challenges to to um, to its um, its it, its makeup and its its uh, its operationalization but um, we, we have to appreciate um, obviously what has been covered in in now it's 73 years um, of mm. its existence well it is a mixed bag coming from our guests there and I'm going to bring those points back to Nardos I know that uh, even some of these issues that have been highlighted uh, uh, the current uh, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has been very transparent about speaking about the need for dramatic reforms in terms of the structural uh, formations of the United Nations. We'll come back to some of those issues. Maybe you can give us some clarity now. This is not an easy kind of bag uh, of issues that are brought there, but you can highlight maybe some of the issues that you think that you can tackle after our break. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalun Yenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. 
Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, broadcasting from uh, South Africa's Broadcasting Corporation into Sub-Saharan Africa. We're in our Johannesburg studios. It's 11.24 Central African time. Thank you for joining us. Today is United Nations Day, a very important body in terms of uh, uh, maintaining peace and stability on in, in the world and also making sure that there's cooperation among states. And what's also important is the fact that it has been playing a very huge role when it comes to humanitarian issues. But there have been challenges, as has been highlighted by our guests, and also uh, Nardos Bekele-Thomas, who's representing uh, the United Nations. She's the head of the United Nations in South Africa. On the line, we've got Professor Vishwa Sadgaus, the Professor of International Relations at Wits University, and also Faith Mabera joins us in this debate. Uh, she is a senior lecturer at the Institute for Global Dialogue. Nardos has highlighted a whole lot of issues highlighted there, but all of those issues kind of show the significance that the United Nations has played a role in. And what was interesting was hearing Professor Sadga highlighting those different periods and the challenges within those particular periods. Anything you want to address to what the Prof was highlighting there before we move on to some of Faith's issues? Um, I should say that, you know, uh, when it's not just roses you know there were some challenges and there are some threats and this is the nature i mean Mm. you know there are always the positives and the negatives fighting it uh but you know we cannot throw you know all what has been done Mm. uh, by the un you know um just looking at the negative aspects of it Mm. but having said that yes i agree there are numerous problems Mm. you know um, in the structure, especially, especially in terms of representation, mm-hmm. in the power play, mm-hmm. and um, th- if you like, you look at the Security Council. Uh, out of the fifteen, the five permanent members mm-hmm. are the P5s, mm-hmm. and yet they have veto power. Uh, but you know, having South Africa uh, in there, in a way, gives it a legitimate um, political. Uh, place because mm. it's elected. It's not, you know, one of those. Um, it comes with its own um, challenges. Okay. Uh, Two year, um, then you have got, you know, uh, nine votes mm. to pass anything. Yeah. Five is already given, <laughs> so you have just four. <laughs> so you know, we really need mm. to reform, yeah. and we really need to push for reform. Yeah. Uh, it's not compatible yeah. uh, with the. 21st century uh, global um, uh, organization Mm. Uh, and there are many things that we need to do and there are failures, weaknesses but the most important thing is do we learn from these weaknesses Mm. and how do we address these weaknesses and if they are structural ones, how can we organize ourselves, the G77 whatever, to Mm. tackle these issues Mm. are some of the things and right now I think you know with the AU getting stronger and stronger and uh, even the peace you know the uh, relationship between the AU Security Council and the UN Security Council and South Africa playing the bridge you know uh, is so important and critical I think you know the regional bodies would have to play a major role in influencing the structural changes that we require in the UN Mm. And, you know, the, the the weight that South Africa has within that Security Council, even as a non 
permanent member is, is very heavy because it has to actually put the African agenda before uh, the Security Council. How important is that particular role for South Africa? I think it's so critical, not only for South Africa, but for the entire Africa continent. There are other two um, African countries that are in the uh, Security Council. Um, it's very important because we really need to build a bridge. It's very important because, you know, we have to really address the root causes of conflicts so that we can address, you know, uh, peace, security in Africa. Uh, it's very important because the voice of Africa will be heard there. So I think it's critical and important that we have an African, strong African country being in the Security Council. Uh, but certainly, you know, um, when decisions are made, uh, you need also the resources to have an evidence-based uh, discussion. Sure. And for that, you need resources to really go investigate issues to bring to the table in the Security Council. So African countries, to th- some extent, are constrained also by financial mm-hmm. uh, means. Mm-hmm. You know. Faith, let me bring back that, that to you in terms of um, um, looking at, or let me start rather with Professor Vishwa Sadka because I've been told that I have um, uh, limited time with you since I have to let you go soon. In terms of that issue of reformation uh, and the uh, Security Council matter, it's been a pending issue and uh, the real fight is really making sure that we have more members within the permanent seat structure. Uh, what are your thoughts around this? Because a lot of issues pend around that particular uh, uh, decision-making dynamic? So I think if at a world order level, we want to, if you like, institutionalize and entrench the ethical value of peaceful coexistence, um, we refl- if, if we, and if we reflect on the kind of history of the UN, I would argue on balance. And, and yes, your, your guess on the UN is right. There have been positives uh, by the UN. Uh, but on balance, the current um, UN multilateral system, in my view, is sclerotic. It is a product of a particular point in time and history, and we really need to think uh, in terms of a fundamental overhaul of international relations and multilateralism. So the one possible trajectory is reform, where you tinker with the existing interstate makeup of the multilateral system, and you try and increase voice and you try and increase or, or restructure the redistribution of power within the in existing institutional arrangements. That's one possible trajectory for reform. The other possible trajectory for reform, which has also already been alluded to, is strengthening regionalization. But given what's happening in Europe right now with the implosion of the European Union, um, given some of the challenges we have in the context of building the AU, uh, and renewing pan-Africanism, the regionalization project is also hitting very, very serious challenges. Uh, the third possible trajectory uh, for remaking multilateralism and international relations is really to think in terms of a whole new set of institutions and configurations. Here we need to be talking about global democracy and need to be talking about a global state, given the fact But I I, I believe that increasingly with climate change and its impacts, nation states, parts of our planet, etc., are not going to be habitable. Migration trends are increasing and deepening. We're going to see more people moving across this world just to survive and sustain themselves and so on. We are at an epochal turning point in world history 
And I think we really got to start thinking about a new set of global institutions, maybe a global parliament that involves citizens of the planet directly electing representatives, for example. We might have to be talking about inventing global political parties uh, and things like that. We might have to be talking about a global administrative apparatus to deal with the global challenges we're going to face. Uh, in my view, that should be the trajectory for, for reform and fundamental systemic change, if you like, if we want to achieve peaceful coexistence going forward as humanity. Well, thank you so much, Professor Sadka, for giving us your time. I know we have to let you go, but let me move on to you, Faith. It seems like uh, in certain dynamics, uh, uh, Nardos and uh, Professor Vishwas are really much uh, agreeing with each other on certain sentiments, especially when it comes to the need for reformation. What's your thought? Um, I think um, I agree with uh, Professor Sadka's uh, viewpoint that um, essentially the emphasis should be based on uh, a more collaborative um, security uh, framework um, away from you know the competitive management of, of, of global issues that we've seen um, in, in, in so far as, as reform. I mean, reform has been um, an issue that has dominated the, the UN debate since uh, as far back as 1979. Mm. And up until this point, there isn't um, sort of consensus on the way to go. But I think what's important is that we need to um, sort of remember that um, the global governance, which is the heart of the UN, you know, must come to terms with the emergent regionalizing patterns um, in a multipolar um, sort of world. And, and a scenario that um, we'll probably see, um, uh, and, and there's much appetite for it, is this idea of regionalization of, of global governance, where we see... Um, a lot of uh, partnership forming around continental and regional economic um, communities with, with with the UN bodies, particularly um, bodies like the Economic and uh, uh, Social Council, or even a body like the UN Security Council, and essentially also the the issue of uh, UN Security Council reform. And, and this is one of one of the areas where, for instance, a group like the Africa Group has pushed for abolition of the veto, uh, much to the chagrin of the, the, the members who wield um, the, the veto power. So uh, moving away from such polarizing issues, I think we need to factor in you know, the idea of, of um, a regional and institutional consolidation scenario and, and, and how this would also build on, on partnerships um, with peace and security arms with, with now the various um, continental and, and regional communities. And this, this, this push for, for, for new forms of regionalism is something that we've seen also being factored in with, with the idea of you know, um, the growth, the economic growth and the, the, the economic integration and, and, and economic crisis. So the geoeconomic landscape has also um, increasingly pushed the idea of, of regional. So the regions are going to become more important um, as, we, as we, we go see and it will be, it will be necessary for the UN to take innovative approaches in actually embracing that. But um, on the idea of reform, it still remains a very polarizing issue on, uh, as far as debate is concerned. Um, but it, it's up to, for instance, now with South Africa going into the Security Council in 2019, it would be interesting to see whether it's one of the issues that it would, uh, one of the thematic issues that South Africa would take up um, and, and try to push for um, a sort of uh, a closer to the goal of, of, of reform in a very innovative manner. Well, I'm going to take one more break and then we're going to wrap up the discussion uh, with the two remaining ladies in the panel. Um, and. 
how do we make sure that we maintain the strength of the United Nations? I think some points have come up uh, during that uh, last question. Uh, but uh, we heard from South Africa's president at the UN General Assembly speaking about the emphasis of the United Nations and its importance on a global level and how important it is for uh, the world. And contrasting that, we heard the U.S. President Donald Trump doubting the significance and the impact of the uh, United Nations questioning the uh, 22 to 28 percent of the UN budget being funded by the United Nation by the United States itself so there's those con- contrasting Im- images that came out from the last general assembly and questions around how we're going to maintain this body that is very important and make sure that it grows from strength to strength we'll end the conversation after this break with that question <laughs> This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. I remember you listening to us on various platforms. If you're listening to us on DSTV in South Africa and some SADC countries, we're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And if you're listening to us on our shortwave service, uh, remember that uh, we are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Now, international community can listen to us on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. We're about to wrap up the conversation of the United Nations and its importance in terms of where we are globally and it's been a very elaborate conversation alongside Nardos Bekele Thomas, the head of the United Nations in South Africa, with Professor Vishwa Sadga who has left us here to, we have to let him go, he's the Professor of International Relations at Wits University and also we have on the line still, we've got Faith Mabera who is uh, joining us from uh, the Institute for Global Dialogue, he's a senior researcher there. Navdos, let me wrap up this part of the conversation with you in terms of looking at how do we maintain the integrity and also the importance and the viability and support. I think that's one thing that we're taking for granted, the support of the United Nations. Um, It's very important in spite of all these different issues that we highlighted that we still support it financially, we support it whether it's politically and also in terms of having those bilateral relationships maintained. Thank you very much. I think, you know, that is very critical because, you know, as we are reforming, and it takes a long time, the global governance, but then, you know, the Secretariat is reforming itself under the leadership of the uh, Secretary General um, Guterres, um, and, you know, in the three areas, in peace and security, in, in administration and management, and also in the UN development system that supports countries in the various areas. On the peace and security, um, the focus would be on sustenance of peace and preventive action. Okay, uh, and also making sure that the various departments of the Secretariat, the DPKO, the DPS, the peace building, come together to deliver results. So you know he is really focusing on rationalizing the various departments' works, functions, and roles, and making sure that prevention and sustenance of peace is in the prime 
um, agenda of the of the of this peace and security pillar. When it comes to the management, uh, he is moving fast. Actually, it's just incredible. He's moving fast into making the management to be agile and very flexible and delivering as one. The UN development system, which concerns us, is also being reformed and is building a coordinating role, empowering the resident coordinator to be the only one coordinator of the various agencies so that fragmented projects and fragmented actions are, you know, in the past and an integrated holistic approach of the 17 agencies, for example, in South Africa coming to d- together to deliver as one on the sustainable development agenda in support of the country and also making sure that ownership and leadership of this whole support is is bestowed on the government. And therefore, we support the government's MTF, first of all, by mainstreaming the SDGs in the medium-term expenditure framework and in the national you know, a plan, which is already done, and going down also at the devolved level, at the decentralized level, making sure the integrated development plans have SDGs mainstreamed with the various indicators and supporting that from the back, all the 17 agencies in the different areas. So it's an integrated, holistic approach, coordinated with low transaction costs and very cost-effective support system that he is pushing towards under the leadership of the resident coordinator uh, within a given uh, framework, which is a derivative of the medium-term expenditure framework uh, of the government. So this is where we are. Well, let, let me give you, Faith, a little bit of time then. I think uh, I've been impressed by uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres. I find him very transparent. I find him very kind of, um, you know, he does kind of approach issues directly. I've even seen him actually speak against uh, uh, some of uh, members within the, the, the and address even the, the members of the uh, Security Council, the, the permanent members, and, you know, directly addressing issues of Security Council reforms. Um, your thoughts in terms of maintaining this very important body, I know there's that challenge of funding as well that is just could be right in the eyesight of the United Nations after we heard that statement from U.S. President Donald Trump. What are your thoughts? Um, I think um, here, I think essentially the, the bigger picture here is the question of is the U.N. now as we're heading towards um, 75 years of existence. The bigger question now is, is the UN still fit for purpose 75 years um, down the line? And I think for, for, for what I'll say that, I think we need to address three key um, areas. I think one of them is we need to be um, uh, acutely aware of the constraints of power politics, some mm-hmm. of which you've alluded to, sure. um, particularly the P5 intransigence that we've seen. And we need to find ways of consensual ways and also very innovative ways of moving around the deadlock that we've seen, for instance, in some of the conflict areas that we've pointed in, in some of the normative concerns that have been raised. So it's it's an idea, it's it's the the spirit of multilateralism that needs to be reawakened again and to actually 
made to align with the realities of, 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 of the world as it is uh, now. The second issue, I think, is we need to address, uh, we need to address the need for effectiveness and capacity, um, um, essentially as, as, a, as a key um, criteria for, for gauging the effectiveness of an institution such as the UN. And in this case, we need to move away from a narrow perspective of, of almost the, 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 the very um, um, inward-looking nationalistic sort of perspective and move mm-hmm. to, the, to the more broader return to the we the people's um, co- concept as articulated in the UN Charter. And this, for instance, has been seen also in, in, in not only in areas like um, the, your guest mentioned the, the idea of peace and security where we've seen a lot of debate around reform of the peacekeeping operations, but also in the development um, cooperation agenda where we've seen um, a very clear move towards the notion of sustainable um, um, development, particularly in, in the in the um, 2030 um, sort of uh, uh, agenda 2030 that we've, we've articulated in the SDGs. But I think also important is the question of increased legitimacy and representativeness, which is something that um, will will have to be addressed over time. But it, it certainly signals that the UN will move away from a business as usual perspective. And at some point, the, the issue of legitimacy, particularly in a, in, a, in, a, in a pretty much interconnected, but also an increasingly clouded and complex world will need to be addressed. It will move from a business-as-usual approach, um, particularly as it, as it moves closer towards the, the centennial um, sort of um, realization of its existence. And these are just some of the more mature problems that uh, even uh, in, in its makeup, each, each growing organism has to address. It's just part of the growing organism. But I think those are the three um, areas that I think are, are, are key to watch in terms of gauging, um, um, you know, just the, the relevance and the, and the growing um, adaptability of the United Nations going forward. Well, thank you so much, uh, Faith, for giving us your time. That's the voice of Faith Maberia, senior le- uh, researcher rather, at the Institute for Global Dialogue. And thank you to Nardosa uh, Bekele-Thomas, the head of the United Nations in South Africa. Thank you for coming into our studio. She was waiting patiently in the back of the scene. And thank you for engaging in such a fluid conversation and, and giving us your remarks and that representation so important from the United Nations. So we really appreciate you being a stakeholder in, in this conversation. Thank you very much. You're uh, one of the most important partners in our work and uh, fight against poverty and inequality. Thank you very much. Are you looking for opportunities to network with Africa's business leaders? Do you want to engage with movers and shakers and participate in master classes presented by industry experts? Then, here's your personal invitation to attend the 4th Annual Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum and Exhibition taking place on the 8th and 9th of November in Cape Town, South Africa. If you want to register, then visit www.awiefor um.org again www.awiefourum.org if you cannot make the event then don't worry you can follow it through live broadcasts on channel africa channel africa bringing you the african perspective